yet. Take your seats! Please, God! Back. Please, can we just cut? Can we just cut? I've had just about enough of this nonsense. Good afternoon. And the Oscar goes to Leonardo DiCaprio. Welcome back to Losing It Over Leo, uh, the show where we talk about. Leonardo DiCaprio. This is our thirteenth episode, and by this point in our uh, in our series, he's how many movies he's done? Like twenty five? I don't even know. This is probably his. This is very much more than his thirteenth movie. So we're gonna go back, and eventually, it will happen. Whether it's in this series or another, we will hit all the rest of those movies. But today, we are gonna talk about a uh, actually fairly important movie he did, but. Um, Really interesting for a lot of reasons, and we'll get into it. Uh, before I go any further, this movie is Django Unchained, and uh, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie. Obviously, we're going to talk about it, but I am going to hand it off to Pierre because I think Pierre has a fairly important announcement he's going to make first. So, Pierre, why don't you take it away? I hope I... I hope I'm not putting you too much on the spot. You make it sound so uh, prestigious. I just just to mention quickly before we start, um, just in support of like the current movie that's going on, and this movie is very, I think. Well, actually, I I didn't realize how um, how effective it was at portraying the problems of like racism that are inherent um, in kind of the the founding of America, or at least from the start. Um, it, it is it is a pretty big deal. And I think the movie tries to, in a way, uh, represent it for what it was. And I think it does a really good job. But also just, yeah, to acknowledge the the current uh, fight for, for Black Lives that is going on worldwide. It's an amazing movement. And uh, yeah, you can, if you look up Black Lives Matter on Instagram, they have a website and you can show your support by rocking up there and signing. They have petitions and info and it's all good stuff. And I, I think that's what this movie would have also wanted um, people to to have taken away from it in a way, just the the showing of the cruelty that has happened in our past and sometimes continues to happen right now. Absolutely, I think if you have, if you're listening to us right now and you have, you know, anything to spare, that is a good place to put it for sure. Yeah, so getting into the movie, uh, what movie is this? Or, like, you want to tell I us actually, more about the plot? Can I... We, can we already I, said the movie, but, like... Yeah, just very briefly, I do want to say, though, um, this isn't a problem with the movie. The movie is very good. But what I do notice is, like, this is this is very side... This, this is kind of sideline-y. I want to just 
speak very quickly about racism as a white man who knows nothing about racism. Uh, this is like, so this is a movie and it does, it does its job very, really well. It talks about racism in the 1800s very well, but like, can we get more movies that talk intelligently about racism in the current day? Like, I know I've talked about it before on our other show, but Black Klansman is one of the greatest movies about racism I've ever seen. It is probably the best, with the possible exception of Sorry to Bother You, which isn't probably better, but it is the same. It, it's roughly, like, equally effective. And, like, I just want more movies that show the modern issues with stuff like that as effectively as those two movies do. And this movie is very good at showing really the, the, how horrific racism is, but it's also back in the 19th century. Like, in a way, no one cares, because that's over. Racism isn't over, but the 19th century is. So, like, why do I care about what Calvin Candy... Oh, there's, there's a thing we're going to talk about in a minute. What Calvin Candy does to his slaves, because Calvin Candy cannot legally exist anymore except that people like Calvin Candy definitely can, and that all flies completely under the radar because we don't have the media to support it. And so, like, I just want more of that. I guess I, I, I'm not really going anywhere with that. I just wanted to... No, it's a good point. I bring I, that I, up. The, this, act, the, this movie actually did stir up a lot of controversy. I completely forgot about this until you mentioned that. Um, around its portrayal, its savage portrayal of... of um, of of this of slavery in the past like it was all like the because you know tarantino in general is a very loves to glorify violence if that makes sense right i have and, a lot to say about that later actually because yeah, okay. i think that i think that his use of violence is very specific and very interesting yeah yeah but it does set off some alarms in certain people there was a lot of controversy and then also uh i i think it was in some ways ahead not ahead of his time but like it was very controversial at the time due to the fact like it had very frequently especially like from a, a white director i guess it had a lot of frequent use of the n-word and racial slurs in general um going around and it was just you know i i think a lot of reporters and re or some reporters and reviewers had a big problem with that but um i think it's in some ways it's it's refreshing in that I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of covering up the past, if that makes sense. Like, like you kind of said earlier, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you do kind of see that um, with older movies. Like, you know, there's controversies with like Disney covering up their old movies um, due to like, you know, race, racist undertones or, or very blatant racism in their movies. And unfortunately well, it's I, just like a product of the time. Right. But yeah, to hide I, would that, that... I don't think is great. I would say that, like, I think specifically, I don't know if you're specifically talking about this, but the obvious example is the Song of the South mm -hmm. uh, by Disney. Kind of which, like, Disney doesn't cover that up so much. I mean, it, it, kind of, it definitely does, because you cannot get that anywhere. I know that my family somewhere has a VHS of that, which, I mean, we may have already lost it. But if we haven't actually already lost it, I'm sure that that's valuable enough. We'll never get rid of it. But, like, Disney is very 
open with the fact that Song of the South exists, but they will never release it, which like isn't quite covering up the past, but it's almost the same. I don't know. Basically. It's, it's, sort, it's sort of a difficult issue because, you know, Warner Brothers did that thing where they released all of their old cartoons, which used pretty explicit racial stereotypes, but they did, the, they did it all with a disclaimer, which... Um, yeah, I thought that was, was much more tasteful. That's definitely much more tasteful, but it like, yeah, yeah I don't know. It's, that's not perfect either. Cause they still exist, I guess. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure how to speak on that subject. Yeah. It's, it's tough overall. You can tell with the, like, even these huge companies still don't entirely know what to do with it. But yeah. Anyways, yeah. I, I think, I think Tarantino, um, he, he really dug his heels deep into portraying, at least, at least, um, because I, I don't know much about this time period, un- unfortunately. But it it seemed he wasn't holding back anything when he was portraying, uh, black cruelty. Oh no, he's ready to time. go. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, this and I would say this and hate this and the hateful eight are him really exploring racism. He's done that quite a bit in his other movies as well, but like. This and the Hateful Eight are where he really tries to delve deep into it. Yeah, and both uh, westerns, I guess. Yeah, both uh, westerns. I would say the Hateful Eight might do it a little more tactfully, but not necessarily better. I think this movie definitely. I would say this movie does it. This movie's more to the point. Like, if either movie. If I were to compare either, like let's let's put Spike Lee as the golden stand as the gold standard of addressing racism in movies. Django Unchained is the closest to a Spike Lee movie. It's not even close, but it's the closest of those two. Yeah, I, I definitely say um, they're similar in that. Yeah, there's not nothing held back. They they do. I think they do take different have different takes on it. Tarantino's much more in favor of. I think giving it a very comedic lens in that like he, he likes to look at um, or he, he likes to exact, like re- look at it as like completely ridiculous. No, and make fun of fun of, I guess, race, racist I uh, guess... stereotypes. I would whereas, say, Oh, sorry. Continue. Where, uh, I was going to say quickly, he kind of cartoon cart makes them a cartoon, which I, at least in Django, it was very, you know, like you had a lot of very stereotypical representations of, of white white slavers white slavers that were funny to watch um in certain points of the movie but also like hard to watch in terms of the cruelty whereas spike lee's a lot more serious about it i would say like just to sort of crystallize that point yeah so as i was saying uh tarantino doesn't shy away from the fact that racism was awful and slavery was evil but at the other time but at the other on the other hand like it seems like his point with uh, Django Unchained is to show us that like slavers and racists are stupid and we should laugh at them. Where with Spike Lee, for example, you know, he shows us racism and he shows us that racists are evil and he doesn't try to make them seem stupid. He tries to make them seem like actually evil people, which is a fairly small, I guess, but very important distinction. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. Um, even though I, I would say Spike Lee's uh, Black Klansman does sort of 
tail the line between satirizing it as well. Um, but yeah, on the whole, I, I think it's it's an important distinction too. It's it's two very interesting ways of looking at it. Mm -hmm. I will say though, for myself, I prefer Tarantino's way of doing it, just in terms of it's it's much more fun to watch. Even though you know, I, obviously, they both uh, comment on it very well. Well, I mean, like Django Unchained is you you finish that movie and you feel good. Like this is a movie that if a good guy wins in the end and everything works out, you know, as violent as that ends up being. But with like Black Klansman, you finish the movie and you kind of feel exhausted because even though the good guy has kind of come out unscathed or at least on top, you know, everyone, everything still sucks. So it's a very, it's, that's so... I, I, I'm not surprised, I guess, that you prefer Quentin Tarantino's way of looking at it because even though Quentin Tarantino um, shows you what's bad about what he's talking about, he still gives you an enjoyable experience from start to finish that at the end you can kind of walk away from being, you know what, and being like, you know what, I thought that was a good experience. Yeah, and I... I, I... I do. I think both are really good at what they do. Um, but yeah, I think uh, especially specifically looking at Django Unchained, um, it's actually kind of crazy how much, how I guess I didn't realize how stereotypically straightforward the plot is and that it's actually very much just the hero's journey, but oh, yeah. done very differently, right? I actually recognize in in some terms like, like well, I guess Star Wars is the greatest example of the hero story. Obviously, very different movies, but it, it's very similar in terms of the structure where you have, um, you know, you know, very inexperienced person gets gets a mentor, and and they start bonding, and then the mentor. Uh, do we care about spoilers? I I'm I'm gonna say yes for now. Let's get okay. into them shortly. But well, not Anyways, it, it follows the very stereotypical path, even though it's I'd, I'd say some acts are much more important than others. Um, and I think that's what makes it a fun movie, because they, they also do reference the fairy tale, the idea of a fairy tale hero in the movie, like quite frequently. And they mm -hmm. keep coming back to that. Now, so, I think yeah. I think before we go on, uh, before we continue too, too much. I think it's worth mentioning that uh, because this is a Leonardo DiCaprio podcast, uh, this is the most minor role we've ever seen Leonardo DiCaprio in. Um, he's important, no doubt, to this uh, to this movie. In fact, he's the third build because obviously, like he he's the main bad guy of this movie, and he is a major presence. But he's not even in the first hour of the movie. And in the second hour, like, he's still not the main character because he's not the main character of the movie. He's the entire so, yeah. Exactly. So I think that it's, um, I think that before we get too carried away with talking about this movie, and we will because this is a movie worth talking about, let's talk real briefly about Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in this movie. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to straight up say it. This was definitely my best performance from him. I think, uh, just completely awe-inspiring. The first, I think, from the first 
minute he's on camera. I mean, the 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 way uh, Tarantino frames it, they they put a lot of excitement when he comes in with the the signature. I think zoom in on the character's face from this movie. Uh, he just, I think he stole the movie from the minute he was in it to the minute it. Well, he wasn't in it, I guess. <laughs> I, so, I swear I say this yeah. every time, but like this is this is the first movie to me where Leonardo DiCaprio felt like a real presence. Like I know that he was before, and he's always been, you know, a big part of the movies he's been in. But in this, it's like when you see Leonardo DiCaprio, it's like this guy is going to be important because he's Leonardo DiCaprio. Therefore, he must be a big part of the yeah. movie. And also, he's coming in like almost an hour into the movie right so oh, yeah exactly it is it's it's almost like even though he's never really set up in the movie he just kind of shows up out of nowhere you're just like like this i think that also it, it's kind of meta casting in that if we didn't if he wasn't really that famous of an actor we probably wouldn't think too much of him because again he had no setup but yeah. and when I guess you see his face you realize like this guy is going to be big yeah, and this is what I was talking about in our Inception episode, where like he's now a he's now a draw. I don't know how many people went to see Django Unchained because Leonardo DiCaprio was in it, but like that's now a thing. People didn't necessarily go to see Inception because of Leonardo DiCaprio, but like now when Leonardo DiCaprio appears on screen, he is the guy like he's what you're there for yeah and he he really because he had a lot of uh competition in this movie too uh i would say christoph waltz um, christoph waltz uh hadn't even been in that many things he 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 was mostly known at this point from inglorious bastards quentin tarantino's last movie and like but just from that movie alone he was such a huge name because he immediately won an Oscar for that, and I think that was his first English-language movie. And then he won an Oscar for this movie, too. So, like, Leonardo DiCaprio is competing with a guy who has proven to win Oscars and bring in people. Yeah. Plus, Jamie Foxx, who, you know, a few years later would be in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, the greatest movie of all time. Of course. Uh, How could you forget? Um, I almost felt bad for... uh... For Jamie Foxx, though, he like he he put in an amazing performance, right? And I think he did exactly what the script needed for him. I don't think Django was ever supposed to be like this bigger than life person, if that makes sense. Like the other two characters, yeah. But he he just you you kind of forget about him sometimes, just because he's constantly basically sharing screen time with these two amazing actors, mm-hmm. and I I think. As good as Jamie Foxx is, I would I would honestly say these guys are kind of at another level of acting, um, at least in this movie, if that makes sense. You can just sure. kind of feel it, yeah. So, um, what what it so like what what was your like favorite part of Leo's like what made what what do you think made him so immersive in this one this time? I think. I mean, there's a scene in this movie that goes on for about 40 minutes. It's uh, the scene at the dinner table where he's just negotiating with Christoph Waltz. And I really, I think that's the best performance from Leo in this movie. And one of the better performances from Leo that I've seen. 
it's just you know him going back and forth with Christoph Waltz talking about um, Mandingo fighting, which I guess we'll get into, but it's basically just fighting slaves against each other, and um, that that's all it is. Like he's literally just talked. Quentin Tarantino. I think we've talked about this before. Somehow, I don't know because I don't think we've actually talked about a Quentin Tarantino movie at length. But Quentin Tarantino is really, really good at writing dialogue. And so this dialogue scene of Leonardo DiCaprio just talking to Christoph Waltz about, you know, how skilled his slaves are at fighting each other, or I guess fighting other slaves, is probably the highlight of the movie for me. Yeah, he's so deliciously cruel, if that makes sense. Because he loves it. He, he's like, he loves being evil, even though he doesn't know he's evil. And I love the way he's characterized to that effect, too. Because, like, he he's extremely vain, extremely narcissistic, and, like, his world, every, everyone in his world, as far as he's concerned, revolves around him. And I love the way that that's portrayed because, like, um, you see it right at the beginning. The very the way he's introduced is that they meet his lawyer, and his lawyer says, "Oh, he loves French." And the and Christoph Waltz goes, "Oh, well, I can speak French. Why don't I speak French to him?" And he says, "Don't speak French. You'll embarrass him. He doesn't actually speak the language. He just loves it. So please address him as Monsieur Candy, but <laughs> never talk to him in French." Yeah, it was actually uh, pretty, pretty funny. Like they, they, the way they set that up, he's he's just kind of seen as pretentious, and well, in some ways, really, because he's kind of like a, adopt. It's like he's adopting another culture's etiquette without actually caring about it. If that makes sense. And I guess to um, some degree, maybe that's the point. Like everything about his life is unrelated to him or anything that would be a culture that he would actually belong to. Like, he is an expert in Mandingo fighting, which is fighting slaves against each other, which has nothing to do with him. That's just like taking another culture and fighting it against each other. He loves French, but he refuses to learn anything about the culture. Like, he, you know... They hint at it with uh, Alexandre Dumas. He's... One of exactly. his favorite writer, or one of his favorite writers, but it turns out he doesn't realize the writer is Afri- of African American or African descent, not African American. And to um, be honest, it's it's implied that like he doesn't even actually know who Alexandre Dumas is. I mean, he knows he's the author of um, the Three Musketeers, but it doesn't even really sound like he's read the Three Musketeers. No, he just has it there. So yeah. it shows how much of his life is just kind of a f- it's, it's just fake. He's a he's a very fake person. Exactly, um, and I like I love the way that's portrayed in this, um, especially the way Leo does it. Because in a lot of movies, in some movies, you'll get like this person is very fake, and they're very obviously fake. Like everything everything they're faking, you know, people will call them on it constantly, and it's just very clear that they have no idea what they're talking about. Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't really, everyone in his life knows who this person is, so they don't actually like confront him about all of these things that he doesn't actually know about all the time. But it 
the same time, when he does get confronted, like that makes it worse when he does get confronted by Christoph Waltz's character. I mean, yeah. When when he when Christoph Waltz's character brings up to him that Alexandre Dumas is black, you know, there's no response. But that no that silence that comes right after that is somehow more powerful than if anyone else had mentioned to him that you know he doesn't actually know anything about French culture before that. Yeah, it was a good way of kind of uh, wrapping up his is what what his character means in a lot of ways and it was like it was like that so he couldn't even comprehend that he he might have basically were almost worship like uh an Afri- an african person or mm-hmm. without especially without knowing it so yeah and and his character was it came at great contrast to christoph waltz's character um dr schultz which which made which which is what made all the scenes I think very thrilling between them. You could feel like the electricity in the room. Not well, not only between him, but also with uh, Jamie Fox, Django, um, and uh, yeah, he just he worked really well with all the char- all the characters, and he 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 really I think re-energized the movie in the second half of it. Mm-hmm, and, for sure. Um, comes it comes to a great end. I, I love. I guess I love. It kind of reminds me in some ways of uh, the Joker in that he's he's at least not in some portrayals in that he's he seems like a very polite, fun person, like for most of the movie. But you can tell underneath is this awful cruelty that you kind of slowly uncover throughout the movie. And you start seeing like, you know, when, when once he starts realizing that he's getting fooled by by the two protagonists. So mm-hmm. then that was amazing to see too. But yeah, the, I guess the other side of this coin is uh, Christoph Waltz, who I think if, if when Leo wasn't there, he was in com- also in complete control of the movie. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, I like one of the first times I've seen like an, another actor give, giving Leo a run for their money other than Daniel Day Lewis, I think is the only other one. I can think of off the top of my head. And, you know, Daniel, that speaks for itself, Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, I guess I would say Tom Hanks, too. But I would even say that Leo held his own against Tom Hanks. And where, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is just on another level. And Christoph Waltz is closer to that than to Tom Hanks. Yeah, I I would agree with that, too. Um, Even though I would say once Leo comes in, He's kind of put on the back burner, but I think that's more for the the plot progression in the first place, mm-hmm. um, and to put Django more because it it makes uh, the movie tries to make an obvious distinction between uh, Schultz and Django, and that they both have very similar intentions, but they're willing to do different things to get what they want. Exactly. Um, I think this might be a good point to potentially say spoilers but i think at this point we should divorce ourselves from explicitly like exclusively talking about leo because what is interesting about this movie um there's a lot of things interesting about this movie but what what's the most interesting about this movie for this series is this is probably the most minor role we've seen leo in he's incredibly important to the plot uh incredibly important to the movie but his role is very small um, he, 
he comes in an hour in. Uh, he influences the plot for probably about an hour, and then he's gone. So, whereas every other character that's in this movie, or all the, at least all the uh, main characters, Django and Dr. Schultz specifically, they're in this for much longer, and they are the main characters of this. So, Leo is the primary antagonist, but he's not in it for all that long, all things considered. Yeah, and it's it's I guess it's another one of those examples of the less the better. You know, I I didn't need more, but I think his role was so perfect because he didn't overstay his welcome and yeah. He wasn't really stretched out. Same same thing with uh Dr. Schultz. They neither of them were overused. That's why like I think closer to the end I actually was cuz it's a really long movie too, right? 2 hours um, and 45 minutes. Yeah, I I was getting a little tired of uh, of Django because we, we did get a lot of Django in that obviously he's the main character yeah but um, like like I think that's why for example like J- Jamie Foxx probably could not be seen in the same regard as the other two as well because of that so yeah but um, th- I, I think there were some other like Samuel Jackson was actually in this movie as well oh so, he was almost worse of a villain than Leonardo DiCaprio. He was incredible in this movie. And in like, I don't think I've ever hated Samuel Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson in a movie movie. more than in this movie. Yeah, it was great. He played it up. He was an amazing, very um, subtle role, I guess, like very much less chance to shine compared to some of the other actors, but he really set like set up his character amazingly. Um, very good physical acting. He he had he was doing a limp, but um, also like because he he essentially he was in a very interesting position in that he was a slave, but seemed to have an unusual amount of power in the household. Well, they uh, they they sort of um, hinted at it earlier because Django's character going into meeting. Uh, Calvin Candy, Leo's character, was that he was supposed to be a um, he was supposed to be a black slaver, and the only thing worse than a black slaver, if I remember correctly, uh, was the the slave that was the I'm 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 paraphrasing hard here because it was a lot of words I can't say, but it was the slave that is the master of the house. And yeah. that's Samuel L. Jackson here. Yeah, because they're kind of put in a role where they're turning on their own people, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, they, they are also slaves, but they put themselves in a position where they are willing to still abuse other slaves, even though they can directly relate to their experiences. Yeah, it's actually, it's kind of interesting how they do that with Django, because one of the very first things they make Django do is straight up just watch a slave get eaten by dogs. Yeah, and that was a big uh, point in the story. I remember thinking at first, like, why is this happening? It felt kind of unnecessary, but it was, that was the biggest scene in that it, it was showing what Django was willing to do to get, because in the end, what was interesting is that Django also he wasn't too concerned about uh, the other slaves uh, at all. He he was well, I mean not at all, but like he was 
100% mostly focused on getting Brunhilde back no matter what and being yeah. able to live out his life with her. I like I don't again, I don't know what he goes on to do after this movie, but he was willing to turn turn on other slaves in order to well, I guess he wasn't a slave at the time, but he was willing to turn on uh and abuse uh black people in order to uh, get what he wanted. Whereas uh, Dr. Schultz started showing his compassion started showing which which was a big obstacle throughout the movie because he did not have the the willpower to ignore the some some of the cruelty he was seeing or a lot mm-hmm. of the cruelty he was seeing and that that was like the big that was a great scene just just showing that difference because I, I think schultz tries to save that slave's life and Django actually just stops him mm-hmm. so uh yeah, that, and that, I thought that was a very interesting point of the movie because I, I do think the Schultz is pro- definitely the most intriguing character in the movie as well, just because of I guess he he's the most um out fish out of water character in the movie despite not being like he he's an expert in his field right but yeah. he's the most abnormal person because he's not American and he doesn't entirely understand this way of life, whereas Django mm-hmm. does, because, well, unfortunately, he was a slave for what seems most of his life. But, like, he's also grown up, he's also, he was also born into and, grow, and grew up in this system, right? Django? I would assume so, yeah. Yeah, Django, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And then that's, unfortunately, like, the Schultz, that, that motivation for him is what turns on him in the end. I guess I'm just noticing. I realize we never actually said what this movie is about. Does it matter? Like this is this is fairly clear, right? Or should we briefly summarize what this movie is saying? What what the plot of this movie is? I, I guess we could quickly. It's it's very basic. Like we said, it's the hero's journey at first. So mm-hmm. Django Django gets freed, and then him and freed uh, by, by Doctor Schultz. Schultz. Yep, and then. Throughout the first act and then half of the second act, Dr. Schultz kind of takes him under his wing and teaches him how to be a bounty hunter and to defend himself with a weapon and and stuff like that. And also, in some ways, he actually teaches him that that determination to get what he wants, even if it means others must suffer. Uh, right. there's a, and, uh, and, then, and then eventually they, they switch motivations to Django finds wants to find his wife. So they set out on the quest to Candyland, which is where Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Dr. Monsieur Candy, lives in order to get Broomhilda back, which mm-hmm. is Django's wife. Yes. So yeah, um, I, I did, I did want to quickly, I, I thought that also that, that scene was really cool. The, what, what did you think of that scene where he, Django must kill someone in front of their son that was a really interesting scene to me um i don't know that it was as interesting to me as it was to you uh i like i liked it i don't have very much to say about it but you sound like you do oh okay yeah i'll just say quickly because it's interesting in that you think dr schultz is set up as a very good character right he he doesn't he treats well i guess is 
kind of easy to look good when um, everyone else is so bad in this movie. But he, yeah. he's set up in that he's not, he's not a racist and he treats Django like a human being. He gives him his freedom. Um, but then also, you know, as a bounty hunter, you are given the job of putting people, like killing people no matter what. And mm-hmm. at least in his, in his terms, it's no matter what. So it's a very odd scene, but it makes sense because he seems to, the Schultz character seem, seems to be written in a term of, just uh, he likes theatrics, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he, he, cause there's that first scene where he, he ends up killing the sheriff in the middle of the town in front of everyone. And then, which, which he obviously could have done a lot better, right? But he just prefers killing people in a very dramatic way and seems, it's just, I don't know. I, I, there's some scenes in this movie that really set up of him being like an intriguing character because his decision at the end um since we're in spoilers to kill candy was by far the most like it's probably one of the best movie moments i've ever seen because i i guess it was really unexpected and you you you're just kind of like why would you do that but then you're also when you think about it this movie sets it up so well and then it just it makes complete sense for the character, even though it's a ridiculously stupid decision to make at the moment. Oh yeah, absolutely, it's the wrong decision to make if he wants to get out of there alive. But it's so built up to like for five minutes. If if you know what I I was seeing this movie, I believe for the second time for this movie for this uh, podcast, and um, you know if you know that Candy is going to die then the entire five minutes leading up to that scene where he actually gets killed are all just telegraphing, Candy is going to get killed here. That's going to happen. And like, but, but not, just in a, not just in a way where you know it's going to happen, but in a way where it feels like every decision that any character makes is leading towards that just a little bit more, if that makes sense. Yeah, you- because I think the biggest thing, I, again, I, the first time I saw this movie, I don't know what I was thinking, but that scene of uh, Schultz signing the contract, right? And then it, the movie almost feels done. And you're just like, wait, that's it? Like, they can't, because they won in that they got Broomhilda, right? But it feels like such a loss because the characters essentially, they got what they want, but then they didn't get it the way they wanted to. It's weird um, because they wanted to get Broomhilda for roughly three hundred dollars, and instead they got her for twelve hundred dollars. Twelve thousand. Twelve thousand dollars, and so the actual difference there is monetary, but it feels like so much more because of how much effort they put into this plan that ended up not yeah. working out. Well, that see, that's what really confused me at first. But I think I really like is that they because they easily had the money, right? They made a ton of money. Like twelve K was like from like four hits, right? Because they they kind of um they don't they make twelve K from killing killing like uh this this four gang members, I think. And it's Django's first uh bounty. 
which, About which he that, has. Because it's 7K for the uh, the guy that leads the gang, and then I don't remember how much for each of the gang members. But it's It was uh, like 1,500, but um, and then I think that the total was it would add up to about 12K. So the thing is, like, they had that money. And then, like, I think the, the movie makes a good point of, like, like, he had it with him the whole time. He could have easily just paid candy. Eventually, I think it'd been, like, I I want the, like, and, and then they would have taken the slave. Because the biggest thing was that Samuel Jackson found out that they were going to sucker Candy, the protagonist, and then leave with Broomhilda and never come back to buy the the Mandingo fighter that they had came as came to buy as a as a sort of cover. Mm-hmm. Which was completely unnecessary in terms of like if they had the money, they could have eas- they could have easily just done that and like paid a lot of money for Broomhilda and gone away with it. But right. I think a big part of this for Schultz is again, he's a very theatric and dramatic person and he wants to basically kind of make a, a sucker out of candy. That was the biggest thing for him. And yeah. when, and, and I didn't really notice that at first, but it really grew on me the more the second time I watched this movie, or I guess the well, third time. When I watched this movie also, I definitely felt like he was more broken up about the fact that his plan didn't work than the fact that he hadn't fooled Candy. Yeah, and they were so close too, right? Like mm-hmm. they were literally like a few minutes away from, from all they getting needed, away with it. Yeah, all they needed to do was like sign a bill of sale for Broomhilda and they would have been done. And mm. that's all that remained. And they still did that. But that's the thing is the worst thing is the la- all of the steps were correct, even the last step, except that because they got thwarted right before the last step, uh they ended up paying a lot more money. Yeah, and, be- and well, because of Steven finding out that they Django and and Broomhilda knew each other. Steven, if we, if we haven't mentioned it, that is Samuel L. Jackson's character, the master of the house uh, slave. Yeah. So, like, and that's that, that, that moment of, like, because um, I think, yeah, again, the audience is, I think, given the feeling of this movie is over, like, where do you really go from this? They can easily leave. But then deep inside, you're just like, you know something's coming, and mm-hmm. it's such a that's such a cool feeling. And then it leads up into the Schultz having being basically forced to give Candy a handshake for finishing the deal. And again, that was uh, when when Schultz you know ends up shooting Candy. That was an extremely selfish decision and made no sense in terms of his seeming compassion or i mean he's a very compassionate person but you know if he really cared about Django, he more than himself in his own ego he he technically would have sucked it up and they would have left because mm-hmm. him shooting candy is essentially almost a death sentence for Django and Broomhilda. so it was like again it's a very odd decision but it makes so much sense because schultz couldn't stand the fact that Candy beat him, I guess, and he didn't want him to get away with it. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. in, in that in that sense, Schultz ended up winning just by shooting him and dying, because that's what really mattered to him in the end. 
right. is te- technically beating Candy. And then also, you know, like, uh, I guess he was obviously very disturbed by Candy's treatment of the slaves. So, so it was a very big moral victory for him. <clears throat> Which uh, they really build up through the movie. So, yeah. And uh, I don't know. The, I'd say the movie's structure very odd, structured very oddly in terms of the third act. What, like, what did you think of that whole section? Honestly, once the second act was done, and I would say the second act is where Leonardo DiCaprio is shot by uh, Christoph Waltz. That's, that's where that second act ends. Yeah. And to me, that is roughly where the movie ends. Obviously, it's not done. There's an entire third act left, which is probably about 40 minutes. Um, nah, not I, either, dude. It's like okay. 20 minutes, maybe 25. Okay, so maybe so so a lot shorter. But I felt that everything after that point was um it it didn't feel as important. Uh it just kind of felt like um so the hero the hero loses at some point and then he has to redeem himself, which is good from a storytelling standpoint, but like it didn't carry as much weight as any of the rest of the movie, I would say. Yeah, exactly. That, it, it was just very confusing because the Schultz, Schultz, and, Schultz and Candy dying felt like the climactic point in the movie. And I think maybe what's what's worst about that is uh, Jamie Foxx as Django is the main character of this movie. And somehow or another, when it's left to him to carry the rest of the movie... He can do it, but he doesn't come across like he. It just doesn't. It's not as good as when those other characters are in the movie, and that's a real shame because, you know, I want to like Django more than any other character in this, and he has a lot of really good moments. But as soon as it's left to him to carry the rest of the movie, he just does not bring it as far as as much as he has as much as much as he has to. Yeah, that might have been... I could see maybe this final scene... I mean, it was just... I'm going to be honest. It was a poorly written third act. Even though it's so short, um, the way Django gets out of his predicament is, I I think, extremely stupid. I guess I didn't really care in that, like, I I didn't want it to be a huge elaborate third act. But also, it left a lot of wanting... Um, I would say I thought that, like, as you said, the way he gets out of his predicament, uh, he gets captured and, like, taken to a different, uh, to a slave mining operation. And I didn't think that the way he got out of that was horrible. Like, I thought it was pretty silly, but I thought it felt, it, it fit with the rest of the movie. But the scenes before and after that are just big shootouts. And strangely enough... I think Quentin Tarantino is good at is, is good at writing like individual small action scenes and he's good at writing dialogue. I don't know that he's bi- he's good at writing big action scenes because the big action scenes in this were very boring to me. Uh, what would you say were like the big action scenes? Pretty much every time the entire house was engaged in a gunfight, which happened <laughs> at least twice. Twice, okay. Yeah, that's fair. I I personally liked it. I think it was a little silly. And they weren't... I, I guess the tonal change after the the death of Schultz was kind of jarring, but 
still enjoyable. Um, but I, I do, I can kind of see what you mean in that it, it definitely, there was definitely like a lot of unnecessary action, which, um, I usually don't mind, but this actually for the most part was a very tight script. And yeah. then Tarantino just kind of once, once Schultz and Candy die, he's just like, I don't care about writing anymore. Let's go to town and finally like blow everything up. Apparently, it was a little ridiculous. Apparently there was 90 minutes of unused footage in this that he would eventually like to try and re-release this movie as a miniseries, which he's already done with The Hateful Eight. So like he could do it, but I don't know if he's interested anymore. Yeah, well, the thing is, I don't know what else he could have. Because honestly, like, I think the ending was paced well. Because um, again, like once those two characters died, I didn't really care for more conflict, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. I didn't need it. It's just, it was unnecessarily easy for him to, because the whole, the, they, they had the weird monologue with um, Samuel Jackson explaining to him, like, we're not gonna, like, we're not gonna castrate you. We're not gonna, we're not gonna hang you. We're not gonna burn you or whatever. We're gonna send you to a mining company. And there you will work the, the work the rest of your days until you die. And it was just a little like, like why you know like I didn't personally didn't understand why him going to work in mining until he dies was necessarily like some juicy comeback for for the villains, right? Because it just felt very impersonal, right? You're you're given this entirely different third entity that has no real relation to the plot. And then they, they toss in Quentin Tarantino's terrible acting <laughs> into it. Um, he has like an odd cameo appearance, which I, I, didn't, I didn't hate. But at this point in the movie, it, it just felt a little too on the nose because it's like not only did he stop caring about the, act, the writing, but he also stopped caring about the acting in the movie. Um, and... So yeah, you have the stereotypical monologue and then the way he escapes that situation was a little too easy for my taste. It didn't really make... I didn't understand why those characters would give him so much ability to get out and basically um, convince them to kill other people with the bounty. It just stretched my imagination too much. Or my believability. I actually don't think I minded that scene as much because um, what I did like, and this is, I, I agree with most of the issues you just pointed out, but what I did notice with that scene is that the he was being carried along with three other slaves, and those three other slaves were specifically slaves that we had seen in the past of this movie, and we had specifically seen Django abuse these slaves. So I thought that what was really clever about that scene is that, um, you know, he created an he created an alibi for himself that worked with what those slaves actually knew about him. Which um, I mean, that doesn't necessarily justify everything about the scene, but I did think that that um, I thought that that was really clever. I, I just thought that was clever writing that like he brings back three slaves that Django had very, very slightly 
abused in the past uh, just for that reason. Yeah, okay, that like that was a, a cute moment. Um, especially, I think that scene helped build the 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 legend because the the movie was building towards like Django is kind of like this legendary folklore character. That's like what he's building, and um, that that scene is the first time I guess he he he's by himself and he has to in in, in the similar vein of Schultz use his words to get out of a situation and uh and and kind of manipulate other people which we don't really see him do in the movie for the most part Mm -hmm. so i thought that was that was nice and then i yeah i did like the full circle thing where i think those those slaves that he he i guess technically freed went on to tell the story of Django and how he like manipulates like (laughs) he was able to manipulate people and then and then he turned on them, and he's like a a, a slave freer, I guess, and and a, an an element of hope for for uh, the the ending of slavery. And I, I guess. guess on that note, uh, it will never probably come out, but Quentin Tarantino has expressed interest in doing a sequel to this movie. Uh, based on the DC comic Django Unchained meets Zorro, which I'm probably mis- uh, I'm, I'm probably misrepresenting that somehow, but he has said that if he ever got the opportunity, and there was a good sc- and and he did commission a script for it, um, he would like to make a movie about Django Unchained or, or Django from this movie. Um, Alongside Antonio Banderas' Zorro from, uh, I believe, The Mask of Zorro, whichever the most recent Zorro movie was. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. It'll never happen because it's one of those things that Quentin Tarantino has announced and probably will not make, considering he's wanting to make one more movie. But like, yeah, I think it sounds like he's made. He makes. He likes to make promises that don't always pan out too. But yeah. Um, that, that is kind of interesting. I think would would actually maybe add to this movie, but I, 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 I kind of doubt. I think it would be interesting to see any additions to this movie that sort of build up the legend of Django, because I feel like that's what this movie was building to, and I don't mm. personally feel like it completely delivered, and it didn't need to, because that this movie was building to it, but it wasn't like hard set and Django is a legendary character where, but, but like if there were things that built on this movie, they could definitely create that as a big, you know, Zorro like character. Mm, Yeah, for sure. I can see that too. Um, But yeah, anyways, the, the third act overall, it, it did add to that, that element, but then also a little rushed a little bit too easy, um, but I wouldn't say it ruins the movie. No, it's not just... really. I think it does give the movie a nice ending. It just feels lacking in uh, in comparison to the first and second acts. Mm-hmm. Especially due to, like, I thought it was very interesting how... Because like the villains, obviously they weren't stupid, right? Like, hmm. like Leo, Leo, and Samuel Jackson. Uh, they're actually, they were, they were, 
relatively smart in how how they went about it and i guess because because the they were essentially like the way the way Django and schultz made their play to get broomhilda was actually really clever too right mm-hmm. so it, it was a good like kind of battling because that 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 scene is mostly a battling of wits whereas the last they kind of throw that out in the last in the last bit um and it kind of gets a little weird in that sense. And um, but yeah, I again, I I think it was fine, especially in terms of pacing and stuff. I I don't think the movie could have been too much longer before I would have gotten really bored. And for sure. And again, like they they ditched most of the characters we cared about, anyways. So, um, speaking speaking of like interesting characters, do you notice Walton Goggins was in this movie? Yes, I did. I love Walton and... Goggins just in general, and he was okay in this movie. This was an extremely minor role for him, but he has a bigger role in The Hateful Eight, which, gosh dang, I hope we talk about The Hateful Eight at some point, because I love that. That is personally my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio, or not Leonardo DiCaprio, Tarantino, uh, Tarantino movie. Yeah, same. I, I think I, I would probably rate it better than this movie in some sense, and in, in... Some senses, but I, I think I have to watch all of his movies to make a true judgment. But anyways, yeah, it was a very odd thing. I don't know how famous he was at the time, so maybe that's why. He but was yeah, more, I feel like he was more or less starting out. Like he wasn't he had been in things before. However, like this was one of his first bigger roles. Uh he had been in Lincoln for this, and he'd been in a couple of TV series. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, he, he was cool to see, even though um, Tarantino didn't really give him much to work with. And he, he kind of died very anticlimatically, too. For sure. So, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, overall, like, uh, just like in terms of directing and stuff, I love Tarantino's style in this as well. Um, there's lots of crazy camera movement, and the it, it was a very fun... Yes, it was very fun cinematography and cinematography wise, I guess. Reminded me in some ways of Raimi, Raimi camera uh, actions. Oh, yeah, actually, now that you mention it. Yeah, lots of quick zoom ins and uh, very corny shots of explosions and and uh, like heroic stances from characters and stuff. So um, mm-hmm. I, I love I love that corny stuff personally. Yeah, so I guess um, we are probably about at our time limit. What uh, what would you rate this movie? What do you think? I would say, I think I'd give it like an 8.5. Um, like, I think it was really, really good. Uh, well, I'd say great up until, yeah, the, the, the end of the third, the second act. And then it, it kind of takes a nosedive, but I still think the ending... The, the actual ending, like the last two, like the last five minutes of the movie were, were still really, really good. And it brought that back. So mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is the movie lands, sticks the, sticks the landing and ends properly. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my only critique. And, and then on Leo scale, actually, I'd say this is like a 10 out of 10 for me. I don't think I've said that before, but definitely my favorite Leo role, uh, just amazing amazing char- amazing acting for like a very intriguing character 
and um yeah and this this was like a true truly big role for him in terms of like setting him up for uh his future success with the academy yeah i would uh i'm gonna be very similar but not exactly the same i would say this is a solid eight for me as far as a movie goes um 8.5 maybe but like i'm gonna say a solid eight uh and on a Leo scale, I'm gonna give it a nine. Like this is this is extremely good. Um, I would feel very weird giving it a ten out of ten for anything that Leo isn't a main role in. That's not actually the reason I give it less than a ten out of ten here. I just think it, I'm like I think that there just wasn't quite enough. So I guess in some respect, it's kind of for that reason. But really, just like I don't know, he was very good. I think he can do even better for sure. Um, I, yeah, fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So that's Django Unchained. Um, this is, this was definitely interesting because I guess when I, when I laid out our, uh, our plan for, um, our, our Leo movies, I did not anticipate that we'd ever get to a movie where Leo was in as minor a role as he was here. Because, again, this is an extremely important role to the movie. He was the third build, I believe, on the cast. But he was still very minor. And that was interesting to see. Um, so, yeah, that was, that, was, that was really strange. I don't yeah. think we have any other movies coming up and I don't think I don't even know if there's any other movies that he's been in where he's in as minor a role as this cuz yeah they, I, I think I can't think of any either but I, I think it's also like a a big step like it, it's the same thing I would say for inception he was he was very much there to service the movie rather yeah. than his own reputation for sure and uh, yeah so what what's the next movie Oh man, you will not be excited. I will be. I have this movie on Blu-ray, actually. Uh, the next movie that we're going to talk about is going to be a movie called... Oh, it's a movie based on a classic piece of American literature. We're going to talk about The Great Gatsby. Hell yeah. I mean, hell, the, hell. Third, the third in all and the second that we've talked about collaboration between uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire. Yeah, not I've seen it a while ago, not one of my favorites, but it'll be cool to see because it's a very odd choice for Leo. So we'll I'm, see why he... I'm probably not going to bring this up in the next episode, so I'll bring it up here. When I was watching, like, I went to go see this movie in theaters with my, uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and um, I literally finished reading the novel five minutes before the trailer, trailer started. <laughs> I, I, like, went over to my girlfriend, I'm like, we're watching this movie, but I need five minutes real quick so I can finish reading this novel. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it's a... It's impressive timing, and like, do you think that reading the maybe I should read the novel or like look into it before I watch the hey, movie? What do you think? The novel's very short. If you have the time to read the novel before this or to like listen to it, you should. 
it's I honestly like this is it, it is one of my favorite novels. I really like this movie specifically because I like the novel. So, you know, we'll see how I feel about it next week after I've watched it again. But it is I definitely think it's worth your time to go through the backstory. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, uh, good recommendation for listening. And there's also I don't know that we'll talk about it, but there's a lot of interesting implications the novel brings up that do not necessarily come up in the movie. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So, coming up next, we've got The Great Gatsby, and we're we're almost done. I think we only have three movies after that. Not even that many. Maybe only two. I don't even remember. Um, oh. oh, it's only Wolf two. Wolf of Wall Street, right? I yeah, we've got... Well. No, next up, we've got The Great Gatsby. Then we've got the Wolf of Wall Street, and then we have the big one. The big one that he won his Oscar for. People can figure out what that is, because I'm not going to say it. But like, Are we not doing the last one? It's obvious. Yeah. We will. We will. That's going to be an epilogue to the series. Oh, I see. Okay. Very good. So, man, I'm so excited for everyone to hear those. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll go into those next coming up. And, um, yeah, I guess we'll see you next week for... What was it? The Great Gatsby. The Great Gatsby. The second time he's been with Baz Luhrmann. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. it worked out the first time. Peace.